0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians, episode 318, recorded on September 22nd. I'm your host, Sarah Brady Wagner, and today we are covering how to move forward with the Me Too movement. Welcome to the show. It is great to have you join us, Ms. Susan Hogarth. I'm glad to be here. Susan is the chairman of the Libertarian Party of North Carolina. Chairperson. Or cha- chairperson. Or chair. I don't know. I, th- I said, didn't you say you like chair lady? Ch- Or chairlady. That <laughs> works. Not chairman. Um, as well as the founder of the uh, Radical Caucus nationwide.
1: One of the co-founders. One of the co-founders. Okay. Just
0: the to give triumvirate. You your, give you your due uh, introductions. Are there any other bona fides you would like to? No.
1: <laughs> I'd rather avoid any other.
0: All right. So um, today we are taking over the podcast because Mr. Chris Spangle is doing his paid day job all week and has decided to hand it off to uh, some of us amateurs to see how the network reacts to us as well. So today we wanted to take the opportunity to um, really kind of give a deep dive on the Me Too movement, um, what it's trying to achieve, as well as like how successful it's been at going about that uh, and how we can possibly move forward in what to me um, seems very much like a a overall cultural shift where we're trying to kind of renegotiate and reestablish new gender norms for um, interaction. Just trying to make sure that we all are on the same page about what's okay. Um, But apparently we're, we're not and that's what this has whole, you know, brought up as a cultural conversation. Yeah,
1: I can't decide if that's an exciting thing that we're in for, or if that's just an unprofitable upheaval yeah. in society.
0: Well, so we think, you know, hopefully it deserves the, um, the time that we're going to spend talking about it. And Certainly. So the the history of the Me Too movement, uh, it, it apparently started back in 2006 um, by a social activist named Tanara Burke on MySpace, um, do you remember? Yes. Do you remember my space <laughs> <laughs> um, where she uh, was talking about her own experiences um, and was talking to a young girl who had been sexually abused? Um, but it really did not take purchase until um, Melissa, Alyssa Milano on October 15th of last year. She tweeted a small personal note um, that said, me too, suggested by a friend. If all the women who have been sexually harassed or assaulted wrote Me Too as a status, we might give other people a sense of the magnitude of the problem. By the end of the day, Me Too, hashtag Me Too, had been used more than 200,000 times. By the end of the next day, it had been used more than 500,000 times. On Facebook, 4.7 million people had used the phrase for a total of 12 million times within 24 hours resulting in 45% of social media users um, had a friend who posted the term in that time. And since those first few days, the number is now nearly 100%. Um, I mean, if you're on social media, you've at least come across this in one form or another. Um, it's almost as
1: ubiquitous as uh, pink ribbons. <laughs> cancer awareness. We're all aware of breast cancer, and it, I think now we're all aware of sexual harassment. Well,
0: what happened? Whatever happened to the yellow wristbands? I was going to say, did I was going to say, yeah, did, did, yeah. Is this just disappeared as as Lance Armstrong had to had to go sit down? Yeah, absolutely uh, all right. Well, that's a whole other topic. Um, so, a lot of the stories that came out of this then um, focus a lot on high profile women coming forward with uh, very specific stories of um, being in in one way or another treated. I want to say differently, but I mean they they really did the. the kind of overarching aspect of it was this feeling of being demeaned or um uh treated outright aggressively um some of them were cases of rape and assault but all of these women who had these cases that for one reason or another um they either didn't report or if they had reported at the time like it was ignored and so um well, i guess sorry go ahead
1: you're more up on this than i am sarah So maybe you know this, Um, have men embraced that hashtag in the same sense of sexual assault? Um, And how have they been looked at by
0: feminists or uh, for using that? So uh, there have been a couple that I've seen, but it's not at all nearly as prolific, which gets to, you know, one of those gender imbalances where men and women experience sexual assault um, at a the same rate Um, like it's not just women who are victims of sexual assault right Um, but we do see a lot fewer men speaking up in terms of the hashtag me too um, movement. I think that's interesting. I I do too and and to me it's kind of one of the big unaddressed issues within the movement itself so I have two
1: questions and I know these are going to sound really bad coming from a female
0: that's Um, kind of the idea go for
1: it so (laughs) my first is that as we talked about before, and I talk about every time I talk about this, I'm not sure why what makes sexual assault any different from any kind of assault. I mean, um, yeah. Um, and I have been sexually assaulted, so please stop right now when you're writing your note saying you're only saying that because you've never been sexually assaulted. I have. I still wonder what makes it different than um, just a regular physical assault. Uh, and the and I can't remember my other point, so I'll probably interrupt you again when it comes up to me. It, I, oh no, uh, is actually the entire ubiquity of sexual assault. So has I'm all I feel fairly certain that everyone, uh, female and male, have at some point in their life experienced some sort of sexual um, misconduct, misconduct, uh, upset. It may be when they're a teen. It may be when they're a child. It may be when they're adult. It may be all three. Not saying that that makes it any less significant or uh, noteworthy or something that we should be shouldn't be talking about, but I I just wonder at the total ubiquity of it. I have trouble thinking of anyone I know who hasn't experienced some level of what would be called um, sexual misconduct.
0: Yeah, uh, well, and, no, I, I would agree male, with that female, complaint. anyone, and and I at least in my experience, the the men that I know. Um, they're just as likely to be traumatized from whatever experience um so there's there's not a whole lot of really like good reasoning as to why we don't take that as seriously um but i think that kind of speaks to the the difference legally i'm totally on board with you that like there shouldn't be there shouldn't be this extra category you know um i know we've talked personally before about um our our great annoyance that there is a separate crime for um assault and assault on a woman or child. Right. Uh, because they, they're just, so helpless. Yeah. That's why do one, I take offense to being grouped with children.
1: As nice as they are. But yes. yes. Actually,
0: I think in North Carolina that, that law covers um, women, children and um, law enforcement officers.
1: <laughs> I'm surprised it doesn't cover <laughs> pets,
0: you know, yeah. abuse of a pet or, you know, your wife. <laughs> but, um, the, we treat it differently in this like, Men hurt other men and that's one kind of situation, but, uh, anyone hurts a woman and it's different,
1: right? It is nice to know that I can deck a man and it's only a misdemeanor, yeah, but, but it's if a he slaps hits me back. back, that it's a felony. Yeah. I, I no, mean, it is not nice I, to know that actually. I'm being sarcastic if that's not clear.
0: <laughs> well, I've always wondered then, then how that, how often is that enforced in, um, female on female assault cases? Interesting. I would love to see that statistic. We should try that out sometime. That might be fun. Um, so yeah, I, I think you, you bring up a very valid issue in that that there when we're talking about um, aggression and violence between two people, um whether it's sexual in nature or just violent in nature shouldn't necessarily come into play because they're both wrong. I guess that right.
1: People talk about a greater sense of violation. I just don't know, I mean, I don't mean to make light of it because, as I say, I've experienced it, but but i i I think there's this kind of weird uh Victorian thing that you know it's one thing if a guy or if someone decks you, you know, punches you, and it's another thing if someone gropes you i i just i'm not i think that's maybe giving too much. Um, sense to, you know, bits and parts that are just parts of our body. I mean, on the one sense, feminism has this big thing about, you know, parts of our body are just parts of our body and we should desexualize breasts and things like that. And on the other hand, everyone wants to get upset if someone touches your butt as opposed to as opposed to punches you in the face. Um, Yeah. Honestly, if someone hits me in the head, it's more of an assault than if someone you know, gropes me, or even—I I know this is terrible. I said this once before on Facebook, and I got extremely roasted for it. So I'm going to say it here because I actually stand by it. To me, it would be much worse to be given a concussion by being whacked on the head than to being raped, because both are recoverable. But my brain is much more important to me than than other parts. So I, that's kind of how I feel.
0: I, I oh yeah, I can see. I, don't, I can see why you got roasted. My, I guess my only <laughs> thought of that is like is like. I don't know long-term how I would consequences. There are yeah. lots of really bad long-term consequences that can come with rape. True.
1: And concussion. Yeah. So it, I, I don't know how I would, and to be honest, even after kind of, I, I don't know if I would say the same after that happened. So, you know, I'm, I can imagine that wouldn't be true. And I can imagine people being very angry now and I can hear yeah. all the typing. Um, and that's fine. Uh, it is meant to be challenged. I just think that we give way too much credence to certain parts of our body, you know, that over other parts. And, and to me, they're not necessarily the most important parts.
0: I'd agree with that. Well, and one of the things that, that kind of confuses me on that issue of, of assault versus sexual assault is that a lot of times there's, there's this kind of gray issue of intent um, involved where like, if the small of your back being my favorite example if if a man puts his hand on the small of your back and it's unwelcome whether that is just unwanted touching which is legally a whole other um cr- a whole other um statute or if that's sexual assault it kind of comes down to was it intended in a sexual manner
1: or was it taken
0: or was it taken in a sexual manner and it i don't know i guess I guess those are the kinds of situations that I feel like the the whole movement has done more to gray than it has to clarify is uh, you know we we're all kind of in uh, we're in agreement on what like assault looks like and like you you know a clear violence and in those situations um the difficulty is is saying that well in those situations you need to also speak up for yourself and Um, say when something's done wrong but then that gets into there's a lot of perfectly valid reasons why people don't come forward in those situations the number one being how especially women are treated when they do say something Um, but there's it's it's complicated because there's a lot of reasons why people react in that way too and so we kind of have this weird cultural mishmash of what's okay and what isn't and how you perceive it.
1: When we were talking earlier you said something about you feel like this is a good time in history and that one of the lessons and I may be misinterpreting what you said but is that um people and not just women but people are going to have to learn um to set those boundaries and to speak up when those boundaries are crossed. Mm-hmm which to some people may seem a little bit like victim blaming, but I know that it doesn't come from that place. Um, And I I just think that that's, I agree with you. I think that people, I think that we're now maybe addressing one side of the equation more than the other side. Mm -hmm. And the other side is um, having people speak up more for themselves.
0: Yes. Which is, is kind of what I hope that this, I hope to eventually see this kind of move into is um, actually, I want, I think Jewel. Um, had made a, a statement at one point about about her view on the me too movement that was she said i would like to see hashtag me too at some point develop into hashtag not me that's so funny because not ever having read that
1: i promise that's what was going through my head and i'm, I'm glad i listened to you say that because i am 100 percent with her so um
0: when i think about this and I, I probably have to think about this more than most people do partially because i I work with small children and consent is now a big thing that everybody wants their children taught early because it's really easy to teach them if you teach them early i mean most concepts are really easy to teach if you teach early especially these really big complex social issues like we teach kids about gender roles and everything when they're very young not doing it intentionally but just like because those are the things that we're wired to learn about when we're young so um Teaching consent to little kids and teaching, like I, I have had to answer a four-year-old ask me the question, "What is rape?" And that then puts you in a position of having to think of how to explain this issue in an age-appropriate way, but still being able to answer the question. Uh, What I came up with, actually, after talking to some other nannies, is rape is when someone puts their their body in yours without your permission. Wow, that sounds
1: really if I put myself back in a four-year-old brain, which isn't difficult for me, um, that sounds really uh, science fiction-y. But... Um,
0: well, what what they understood from that is uh, every, every little kid has had an experience where some littler kid has stuck their fingers in your mouth. Hmm. And so they connect that to what somebody putting their body in yours would be. So... And they understand that, like, oh, that's a terrible thing. But they also already understand, like... You don't touch people without it being okay with them. And if somebody says, it's not okay for you to touch me, then, then you just don't touch them. So I think
1: that's great. But? <laughs> You're good at that. Uh, but I, we, one of the other things that I think we need to teach children is to, I don't want to say respect authority, but to take direction when it is appropriate to take direction and to know the difference. So if you're um, if you're in a job situation or a classroom situation, you know, and someone says, I think you need to, st- you're standing here and you need to stand five feet to the right, and they have a reason for that, um, or maybe even they don't have a reason for that, you need to be able to do that um, without saying, you're violating me, you know? Oh, so yeah. I, I wonder if we're, I, just being cynical and old and all that, I'm just going to say this, but I, I don't. It's not exactly what I think, but um let me play devil's advocate. I wonder if we're raising a generation. I'm not gonna say millennials, <laughs> but um, but I wonder if we're raising a generation um of people who are overly touchy. And I don't mean touchy, yeah, I mean I the opposite of touchy, like you know, um sensitive, over overly <laughs> yeah, overly um what was the word? that's not exactly what i mean either i mean um just maybe um too i don't want to say assertive of personal rights because i'm a libertarian that doesn't make any sense but too um too unwilling too unpliable too unbiddable. um you know uh who are always wanting others around them to make adjustments rather than being willing to make adjustments. Well, I, I would,
0: I would agree that that's, that's something I, I mean, I definitely see come up in kids, but also is something that you, you address early on to discuss, you know, those fine differences between, you know, you, it's never okay for somebody to touch your body in a way that you're not okay with. But, um, uh, okay. So the example that always comes to mind, because it comes up with like every family now is hugging. And the new norm with kids, the new like you know, you can't be the creepy old aunt. Is is it's not okay to force your kids to be hugged? Right. Um, But I am a big believer in it is okay for grandma and grandpa when you when your child says no, I don't want to hug you. It's okay for them to show that that really makes me very sad because I wanted to give you a hug because that's how I wanted to show you that I care. I don't love you any less, but that does make me sad. And that helps the kids to like understand like, oh, okay, maybe what I want isn't the only thing that matters. Exactly. And I need to consider other people too. So in that situation, you usually have like once or twice that the kid has that moment of like, it's okay for me to say, no, I don't want to hug. And then they go, but you know, I do want to hug you because I know that that makes you feel good and that makes me feel good too. And then it's okay from there, but they have that ability to know when it's okay to say no, and you practice that with them and I feel like that's that's kind of the the part that then gets carried over into adulthood is like they they have the ability to speak up for themselves and know that nobody's gonna speak up for them, and that if they don't speak up for themselves, that they're putting themselves in you know in a worse position than they need to be like um. I don't know. I kind of, kind of went in tangent there, but that there's, you know, there's two sides of that you're equation. Giving, you can't always expect everybody else to
1: adjust for you. You're giving me, um, you know, hope for the next generation. If only everyone had great nannies. Yeah. So not, not everybody has that,
0: but, um,
1: yeah.
0: you know, it's, it's important to have both sides of that equation. You both need to have everybody understand that it's not okay to violate someone's person. But you also have to have people understand that if you're not okay with something, it's your responsibility to say so now or as soon as you can say something and not to um not to let yourself be tread on, not to let yourself be abused or used um yeah, from a and liber- that's not to say that that will keep you from being victimized, yeah, but that that is step one in being able to like, well, defend ex- yourself
1: actually. To a large extent, that will keep you from being victimized. To a, yes, to it, a large extent. I'm just saying it's not like a guarantee. It occurs to me, um, it occurred to me very early in life, actually, as a teen, that uh, I never had the issues with, um, you know, like obnoxious boyfriends or obnoxious male. I had a lot of issues with obnoxious males, but with, um, with guys making presumptions and I I used to joke about, you know, having the word bitch tattooed on my forehead. Um, But I think people like me. I mean, some people anyway, but, um, but I do think that having a certain internal attitude uh, does change people's reaction to you and temper it. Um, So yeah, if we can cultivate a little bit of wait, maybe it's not feminist to say a little bit of bitchiness, but a little bit of uh, uh, more internal strength in women and not the kind of strength that bears and endures, but the kind of strength that doesn't put up with it. Yeah. Um, then that's, could be a good thing.
0: I, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, I want to kind of take loop back to, um, what you had said earlier and you'd asked about, um, men coming forward with me too. And in yep. scrolling through my notes over here, I, um, came across, I actually do have Terry Cruz, um, early on. I, you remember this Terry Cruz, um, Is uh oh gosh, what's what has Terry Crews been in? Um, have have you ever seen uh oh gosh, what's what's the movie? Uh, why do all these um, people seem to be? Have you ever seen Idiocracy? No,
1: why do all these (laughs) people seem to be actors and
0: actresses? Well, I mean, that is an interesting thing, is there's actually been a uh some talk about that people in the music industry haven't spoken up as much. Well, people in the engineering, wait, no, they have, but
1: um, I mean. Maybe it's just because they tend to be more, I I don't know. I I think it's just like a high profile
0: thing. Yeah. Um, Those, I mean, those are our celebrities. um, Tangenting. So this is from the AV club. Uh, Terry Crews came forward to share his story of being groped by an unnamed Hollywood executive in front of his wife at a party and the shame and fear he felt that prevented him from speaking about it earlier. Hopefully me coming forward with my story will deter a predator and encourage someone who feels hopeless, he wrote. It's a powerful reminder that sexual assault can happen to anyone. Good for him, you know, and that that, that this whole now, issue is did more his, about did his power? boss did his boss get retroactively fired? Um, no, no, doubt it. Yeah. Um, well, it was an unnamed Hollywood executive. Yeah. Maybe someday
1: she'll be roasted if enough men and women who know actually, I, from what
0: I understand, it was another man. Oh well. So. Um, but oh, but it's oh, but again oh. it goes back to its its power dynamics. Oh, assumptions. <laughs> it's, it's power dynamics. It's not. Uh, it's not necessarily just about men, you know, victimizing women. It's it, people in place in people in a position of power over someone else right. misusing that power is is kind of a lot of what it is. Sure. Um. So I want to kind of uh, shift forward to discussing the other part of this. So, Wait. Wait, the Hollywood angle just had me thinking.
1: I just wonder if somewhere in the unpublished notes of Ayn Rand, there is a Me Too moment. <laughs> I feel like there has to be. Oh. And I feel like she either just dealt with it or maybe she murdered
0: the guy. I don't know. Well, yeah, and that's that's one of those, those questions is, is it, I don't know, when you, when you say just kind of dealt with it, to me, there's, there's a couple of ways that somebody could just deal with it. Cause just deal with it might mean standing up for yourself and going to, you know, the person who's abused you and saying, Hey, asshole, you know, that wasn't okay. Right. You do realize that what you, the position you put me in, like, like this is how it's affected me. Um, or it could just mean ignoring it. it and, I know and those, those are, are very, very different. different.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and I don't know.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. And they, and they have very different outcomes then. Because in, in one way,
1: well, and I, I think this goes... I'm not sure they have... It's it, certainly not back in the 40s, but I'm, I'm not even sure now they have very different outcomes.
0: Uh, to me, the reason that they would have different outcomes is because in a lot of these cases, if you don't know that you've hurt someone else, then you never reconsider your actions or you never consider if you maybe should change your habits in the future. Yeah. But if somebody comes to you and says... I'm not, a, or, or I mean, even if you can. Sometimes I'll come with blame, but even if you can come with without blame, with having that kind of suspended um, judgment and saying, even if you weren't trying to hurt me, I need to let you know that what happened was hurtful, so that hopefully you don't hurt somebody else again. Um, and without those conversations, then there's a good chance that that whole script and that whole interaction is going to happen again to somebody else. Yeah. Um but and, and to me like that's that's part of being able to deal with it yourself too
1: yeah one of the things that we haven't addressed and i know you want to go on to something else was the the false allegations that was what i
0: wanted to go on to uh, then our <laughs> minds are in sync um so uh, false accusations is obviously a, an issue in this and to me it's it seems like it's become a more salient issue as the kind of movement has rolled forward, because as we get into this, Oh, if it's so common, then we just kind of have this presumption of, of belief. And as soon as a new um, accusation comes out,
1: um, Boom, career
0: ruined. Yeah. The more power that gets, the more, the more the,
1: resentment it creates.
0: Well, and I feel like the more uh, it creates a position for a false accusation,
1: should right. be
0: m- more Apeal. appealing. Yeah, that's true.
1: That is true. If you were someone in a sketchy position at work, for instance, and you wanted to get out in a way that was profitable to yourself,
0: what better way than to bring up an accusation against your boss or a co-worker? And this has become, you know, the big topic of conversation now with the, the Brett Kavanaugh's Supreme Court nomination that you have this one story that's come up like many of the other stories that happened a long time ago is something that even if it was reported at the time, there's really no way to say that they would be able to have any like hard concrete evidence. Um, I mean, it kind of harkens back to the issue of, of this kind of like sexual assault in the first place, which when it comes to statistics, supposedly about 5% of cases are um, reported and um, convicted and about 5% of cases are false which leaves about 90% of cases where there's a he said, she said. Right. And unless, I mean, I would, I would say even, even when there are rape kits and it's like a really clear cut case, we don't test those half the time and there's a huge backlog. So
1: the Kavanaugh case is interesting because in the six degrees of set or three degrees of separation department, someone that you and I both know, um, Told me that he was schoolmate of the brother of the accuser, and the interesting thing is that he said um, he would have just missed it offhand as a political ploy, except for having this connection and thinking, "Well, this guy's reliable." Um, he says his sister is reliable. Why wouldn't I believe that? And that's made him go back and re-examine the Anita Hill stuff um that he had also dismissed as political so it, it's interesting what having a connection does um i tend to be the kind of reserved judgment kind of people if i ever have a snap judgment i try to be very suspicious of that in myself because i you know i think that's a recipe for I, I think not that's, very that's
0: a really good habit to you know um,
1: cultivate you read a news story, you can't know what happened. And certainly knowing, very few people can know what happened, what, 25 years ago?
0: Oh, I always get suspicious of any news story that I have like a immediate reaction of agreement with. I'm like, I should probably find another article on this.
1: Or one that says, science says. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that's one of my hobby horses.
0: <clears throat> so um, according to Quartz, only between 2 and 10% of all reports are uh, false Um, False accusations are usually motivated by personal and not public reasons Um, to quote Quartz in every academic study One of the most common kinds of false uh, accuser is a teenage girl who tells her parents she was raped to avoid getting in trouble Unwanted pregnancy is sometimes cited by such girls, but the reason can also be trivial The phrase missed curfew shows up with disturbing frequency in these cases as a rule It's the parents who insist on getting police involved Two different studies have found that almost half of all false rape complaints lodged by are lodged by someone other than the alleged victim, usually by a parent. Another kind of case which evaporates rapidly is that of a person who falsely reports a rape in the hope of getting needed medical care or psychiatric medication. In one study, six of the 55 reports classified as false by a police department in one year fit this description that's just sad like the teens who missed their curfew these false accusers have no interest in pursuing charges after the lie has served its purpose um and
1: after the victim is has his life ruined his or her life ruined.
0: well you know it's interesting i would wonder how many times in those cases a specific um person is named because i mean in in situations of a um a teenage girl or a um, you know, somebody just seeking medication. It, I mean, it would make sense to me that they you'd be able to report a rape without being able to say that it was somebody that you knew. Hmm.
1: It's it's much
0: more pernicious when you're able to point to a specific person as right. opposed to when you're just making a claim. Right. You know, and then you get into all sorts of stereotyping as to uh, who you're who you're imagined to accuse. But, um, so to to kind of hit on a a case very close to home, um, talk, let's talk a little bit about the Duke lacrosse case. Um, false reports have some similarities. Uh, according to uh, Crystal Mangum, who is the accuser in the Duke lacrosse case, was the archetypal false accuser. She had previously reported another brutal rape and kidnapping in which no one was ever charged. She had uh, she had previous she had a previous felony conviction, and she ultimately went to prison for an unrelated crime. Which, in her case, was murdering her boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, She had trouble keeping uh, her stripping job because the combination of drugs she was on, including both antidepressants and methadone, kept making her fall asleep at work. Uh, Tragically, she seems to have genuinely suffered sexual abuse as a child, which is another feature that often appears in adult false accusers. Um, The New York Times attempted to explain why such an obvious lie still got so much traction with the media. Um, New York Times public editor explained the media's inability to cover this fairly. Um, they diagnosed the media coverage of the case as the documentary as journalists excited to find all their pet social justice issues in one story. It was white over black. It was male over female. It was rich over poor. It was educated over uneducated all the things that we know happen in the world come together in one place and journalists they just start to quiver with thrill when something like this happens and we want to you know make this our star case and that's
1: where your inclination when you see something that immediately excites your sympathy or in, or agreement reflexively you should question that you should question it if only everyone could be trained to do that mm. but our brains work exactly the opposite in most cases that's critical thinking. Except though. superior people like you and me. <laughs> yeah.
0: But I mean, that's critical thinking. That's something that you have to learn. You have to learn to question what you're thinking. Right. If, But it's one of the most difficult things for
1: people to learn. I see. That's, and yeah. absorb. I, I mean, I don't accept myself. I'm sure a lot of times I respond from gut, mm-hmm. as they say, rather than brain.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, and, even even when we're trying to be conscious of it, there's still, you have so many reactions in a given day. You can't possibly um, reliably catch every single one. You can always try, but I think anyone who thinks that they're, you know, perfectly critical of every single thought that they ever have is probably lying to themselves. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So well, anyone who thinks they're not lying to themselves is definitely lying to themselves. Yes.
0: Yeah. <sighs> Well, that's, that's the first step to, you know, trying to be the person that you want to be. Um. Well, what happens when we believe false reports before convictions? I mean, this is the difference between the court of, you know, public opinion and actual court cases where you are supposed to have a presumption of innocence. But Well, here's the thing. If, you, if they're as rare as you indicate, um,
1: you have to ask also what happens if you believe... Uh, a a true accusation uh, before it's prosecuted and judged. Uh, I think that's just as dangerous. Uh, I don't, sometimes the phrase is used. A person is innocent until proven guilty. I hate that phrase. If you're guilty, you're guilty. Yeah. We haven't
0: proven it yet, but
1: um, our justice system treats people as innocent until they're proven guilty. And there's a big difference between those two things um and i believe very strongly in that but it is important to do that because you can be wrong you can be wrong even in a full conviction but that um i think just trying to step back from the passion a little bit and uh you know think about reality and think about the the mitigating circumstances and nobody wants to talk about mitigating circumstances in sexual assault because it's totally inexcusable but, just as with any other case of assault or robbery or trespassing, they're often mitigating circumstances, and we should try to develop a bigger sense of compassion uh, toward perpetrators as well as victims. I know that's probably not a popular thing no, to say I, these days, but
0: I would agree with that i mean i think I think that sentiment kind of kind of stretches into a lot of my understanding of justice is that you you have to be able to consider that. Terrible things happen and people need to be held responsible for terrible things, but it's also people who are involved in those situations. And you, you have to look at it as both the perpetrator and the victim are both people and people make mistakes. Right. And after the situation,
1: unless we're killing people summarily, (laughs) then both people are still going to exist and, and have to move forward and to take away someone's entire life because of a mistake even a grave mistake you might as well um you know put them away for life or uh, or you know um or execute them as to you know as to make the rest of their life unlivable in this you know people have to be able
0: to move on that's all i'm saying so so well let's talk about what happened in the duke case um Reed Seligman, Colin Finerty, and Dave Evans were indicted last year on charges of rape, kidnapping, and sexual offense after a woman told police she was attacked at a March 2006 team party where she was hired to perform as a stripper. Duke suspended all three, canceled the team's season, and forced coach Mike Pressler to resign. The previous season, Duke had made it to the finals and was expected to be a contender again that year. The players' families racked up millions of dollars in legal bills in their defense and this was all just from being indicted this you know they again it did this was not the result of a conviction this was just the result of that false accusation um and i guess i guess in that i'm, I'm a little bit i got i want i want to say less sensitive to the to the costs of um legal defense but i mean that's something that Lots of people end up racking up for all sorts of other, you know, unjust causes trying to defend themselves, too. Um, You can just, you can also take a a public defender, but we all, you know, know that's not necessarily the ideal option. Imagine
1: imagine if they
0: had. Yeah. They'd be in jail. They would. But, um, you know, I, I do think it is a little too, I don't know, proactive for Duke to go ahead and say, we're gonna, you know, suspend Daryl players and try and get the coach to resign and act as though this is a clear cut case of something that has been proven when all that's happened is an accusation. Well
1: again, I'm not really sure what Duke's regulations are. Maybe having a stripper <laughs> at your function, team function or maybe it wasn't, I don't know, a private party or whatever, but maybe that is considered conduct unbecoming. So even that could have been been enough to get them in hot water with Duke. Aggravating factors. No, I'm just saying, like, Duke didn't necessarily have to buy into the accusation, you know, to know or to have a feeling that something was inappropriate on their part.
0: That's understandable.
1: I mean, they do have presumably reasonably high standards for their university for their behavior their athletes although obviously i don't know
0: how well that worked out so um you know the the question that kind of brings back to is is why um why don't more victims choose to prosecute so you've got the issue of false um accusations you've got the issue of um unreported accusations why don't more women report?
1: Yeah, I, the, I don't know. I mean, I, I had mentioned briefly that I had been assaulted and I never reported it. I went home and cried.
0: Well, what I mean, um, what was what was your...
1: I, I don't even know. I just, I didn't want to talk about it. Um, I fought the guy off. Yay. I feel really good about that. But at the time, I didn't feel really good about that. I felt terrible. I felt, um, and all these things are really dumb because, you know, I always sort of, um, I don't really, ex- let's see. They sound ridiculous. You know, oh, I f- guilt isn't the right word. Um, I think that there's something in our culture, and I'm not even sure it's necessarily an entirely bad thing, but that, um, that makes victimization an unhappy, you know, like something you don't want to talk about. I mean, I think there's something in our animal it's nature. Well, but I think it's part of our animal nature not to be weak. And, you know, so when you are in that kind of completely weak position, um, I think it's pretty natural to sort of just withdraw and not bring that out. Um, you know, so, uh, in retrospect, like decades, decades after the fact, I think that was probably a pretty bad thing because, you know, maybe I could have spared someone else trouble. I don't think I would have been very good at descriptions. I've always thought about that. <laughs> like I've never been good about describing people after the fact. So I'm not sure how much good I could have done, but um, but I feel like I should have made the effort. So, so I certainly understand. Well, I don't understand, but um, it resonates with me when people don't report or say they didn't report. Um, do we have an obligation to? I don't know.
0: Huh. I I guess that's that's a, that's a really good question is, I mean, is there an obligation to
1: I don't think there's any absolute obligation I'm a libertarian I don't think anyone should be forced to testify or anything like that but whether we have an internal or moral obligation I don't know that's
0: a I don't know I guess I, my inclination on that would be that if we have any sort of moral obligation that it's more to other women it I well it, it's more it's more to speak people. up than it is to file charges so and I guess this loops back to what I was talking about before where if you have been victimized, um, you need to make that clear, uh, so that the, the abuser doesn't, uh, ha- get ah. away with not thinking about their actions. See, in because- my case, my case is a little different than the things
1: we've been discussing. Excuse me. It was a complete stranger and not someone I could have easily traced down. So as I say, I'm not sure that it would have been any good to anyone, um, but yeah, if it had been someone, a coworker or someone like that, much, I would have had, a, I think, a much higher obligation.
0: Yeah. And I guess in those, in, in situations like you're talking about, that's, that that's assault, like you're saying. Right. Before, where it's, that's a kind of violence that you're never going to be able to completely filter out of society. Because like, right. that's just, you know, violence from a stranger that you don't have any personal connection with who was making the choice to act that way um and that's never going to be something that we can completely eradicate because there's always going to be it's also people.
1: it's also extremely rare and it's interesting yes, I- to <laughs> me that so many people you know fear you know walking on a dark road which is exactly where i was or um you know, in a bad neighborhood oh, yeah, or whatever. All, you know, holding your keys of, between your hands. Right, and. right. Because, and I've never been one of those people. And when it's always amusing to me in a kind of gotcha way when people say, Oh, that's just because it's never happened to you. You know, you know uh, who uh, actually it has, but, but I think the thing is, um, it is extremely rare. I mean, it, it would have been much more likely that I would have been assaulted while I was on a date. And it's not because I never had any dates. Um, <laughs>
0: But, or by someone I knew or someone I was seeing. Um, well, you and I are both married. Statistically, the person most likely, the person, not just man, the person most likely to harm or even kill us would be our husbands. Correct. Um, and never. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I like agree it, with yeah. you. That's always seemed like a, yeah. a weird mismatch to right. me that, like, the situation that you're the most actually vulnerable in are those interpersonal, deep, intimate situations where you're... You do have control over what you allow someone to do to you, to a degree. I mean, right. I, I as a libertarian, I want to say, you know, completely because you can... You always have control of your body. You can always get yourself up and leave um, unless you are being physically, you know, forcibly held in an area. Um, so, I don't know. That, that's... Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with that. I know, we're just going to... I would rim. say, I got distracted because the dogs need to be let out. Well, between the 5% conviction rate and the 5% false accusation rate, we're left with 90% he says, she says, where legally, we really can't know one way or the other. So to me, this whole Me Too forces us to grapple with what do we do in that 90% of cases and and how do we make this overall experience of you know sexual assault or violence that as we've discussed is really an issue of um how people who are in close quarters and in regular interactions are interacting with each other um how, how do we you know deal with that
1: yeah we need to be able to draw boundaries without having lynch mobs go after yeah. every um Butt grabber. I, I, I'm not saying that that's appropriate,
0: but, um, well, so you have really clear cases. Harvey Weinstein is is your your perfect you know example of like what the Me Too movement is supposed to be trying to speak out against. And Harvey Weinstein is a case where, um, you can find a complete list of actresses sexually assaulted by Harvey Weinstein along with their stories in the show notes. But shockingly. There are over 50 women with credible stories. He is currently and officially being prosecuted by two separate women for various sexual crimes. And uh, I'll just share a few notable stories here. Asia Argento alleges that Weinstein raped her when she was 21. Uh, She had been invited to what she thought was a party in his hotel uh, room near Kane's, and she found herself alone with him instead. He changed into a bathrobe and asked her to give him a massage. She said she had reluctantly agreed but that he pulled her skirt up and forcibly performed oral sex on her. Uh, she said she felt guilty about what she described as a horrible trauma and for not fighting him off. She later went on to have consensual sexual relations with him, uh, which she described to the magazine as a one-sided and onastic because she believed he would ruin her career if she didn't if she didn't comply. After the rape, he won, she said. Uh, The British actress Lizette Anthony says she was raped by Weinstein Weinstein in her London home in the late 80s. Anthony has given an interview describing the attack that left her feeling disgusted and embarrassed. She first met the producer in 1982 after being cast in the film Krull. It was a number of years later that that Weinstein rang her doorbell. He pushed me inside and rammed me up against the coat rack in my tiny hall and started fumbling at my gown. He was trying to kiss me and shove inside me. It was disgusting. Unable to push him away, she continues. Finally, I gave up. At least I was able to stop him from kissing me. Anthony has reported the rape allegations to the police and they are investigating. Uh, Lucia Evans uh, was was an aspiring actor when Weinstein approached her at the Capriani Upstairs Club in New York in 2004. He arranged a meeting at the Miramax office where she found herself alone with him. He forced me to perform oral sex on him. She said, he's a big guy. He overpowered me. She blamed herself for not fighting harder and said that she was still haunted by it. Gwyneth Paltrow was 22 when she had been hired for the lead in the Jane Austen adaptation of Emma. She had been summoned to Weinstein's hotel suite where he suggested that she give him a massage. She refused and felt petrified. She she confided in her then boyfriend, Brad Pitt, who confronted Weinstein. And soon after the producer warned her not to tell anyone else I was expected to keep the secret, she told the newspaper. I thought he was going to fire me. Um, Ashley Judd, a U.S. actor has starred in a string of box office hits, was 20 when Weinstein invited her to the Peninsula Beverly Beverly Hills Hotel for what she thought was a breakfast meeting. Instead, he had her sent up to his room where he appeared in a bathrobe and asked if he could give her a massage or if she could watch him shower. She told the New York Times, her thoughts were how do I get out of this room as fast as possible without alienating Harvey Weinstein. Uh Rose McGowan has reached a settlement with Harvey Weinstein following a hotel room encounter during the Sundance Film Festival. She had a re- she had recently had a memorable role in the slasher movie Scream which came out in 1996. I mean there's countless and it, just from reading a few out there it seems like there's a little bit of a pattern there too. But um it's so prevalent that uh, it was actually joked about. Um, there was a a
1: case well, in well, that's one of the things. It's in that case, it seems to be a one of those everybody knew, but now it's unacceptable.
0: Have you okay? Have you ever heard of? There's an analogy I I think works really well here called the broken stair analogy. The broken stair analogy is. Um, imagine that you're you're at you know a house party or whatever that you know you're at a place where everybody hangs out and there's a, a staircase and there's one broken stair on the staircase that everybody knows about and so everybody tries to make a point of telling somebody when they're new oh hey there's a broken stair so you just have to jump over it when you're going up the stairs otherwise you're you know you might hurt yourself and that's a perfectly fine situation everybody thinks until you have someone who wasn't told and because they don't know about the broken stair they go up the stairs, they don't jump, they fall and they hurt themselves. And then it's, oh, well, you didn't know about the broken stair. You really should have known about the broken stair. But the problem is nobody is bothering to fix the broken stair or address the fact that uh, we have a problem in the first place.
1: Right. But with a broken stair, everyone
0: agrees that, that. Well, in that case, Harvey Weinstein is the broken stair. Right. It's not worth getting rid of him. Yeah. It's not worth fixing the broken stare. We could just tell everybody you don't want to be alone with Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. The joke was um, during the 2013 Oscars, Seth MacFarlane made the joke after he listed the nominees for supporting actress. He said, congratulations, you five ladies no longer have to be have to pretend to be attracted to Harvey Weinstein. Eek. But I mean, that was in 2013. Yeah. I don't I don't know how much more of you get like an, you know, an open secret than that. Yeah. Um, You know, with so many instances, why do we keep, why do we keep letting, you know, that continue to happen? Um, I mean, and these are not necessarily weak or timid women. It seems pretty
1: shocking that in 13, when that joke was made, someone didn't say, wow, you know, I guess, uh, no, even Twitter was around then. (laughs) Uh, I, I, it just, yeah, it's pretty shocking.
0: Yeah. Um, here's just one other that surprises me. Uh, Weinstein allegedly invited a 17 year old Kate Beckinsdale to his hotel room where he greeted her wearing only a robe. Uh, and a few years later, she said, he asked me if he had tried anything with me in that first meeting. And I realized that he couldn't remember if he had assaulted me or not. Uh, I, I think it it just kind of encapsulates that this was set up as a normal thing, right in that in that it, realm, in that culture and And I wonder if right now, and that may be why we're hearing he, so much more from the film industry. Maybe he's sitting around thinking,
1: What did I do wrong? And that was acceptable. Uh, and now all of a sudden it's not acceptable. Like like I was saying to you, someday I feel like, Um, someone's going to come to my house and arrest me for improper recycling, (laughs) for not recycling enough. And I I know that's, that's not a fair analogy, but, um, but I just, I wonder if, you know, how social norms change over time. And if we're going through a period of rapid change where there's a lot of sort of back, totally not excusing Harvey Weinstein here, (laughs) I know that's what it sounds like. Um, I don't even know what he looks like. Who he is, really? It's just—he's not a particularly attractive man. (laughs) But but, I mean, that's not—you know—I just—I have no sympathies one way or the other. I'm just um, saying—I do wonder. um, I wonder in a period of rapid change on a particular issue whether some people are going to get caught. I mean, some people should get caught, Uh, and he sounds like a good candidate for someone who's been caught and what he did was unacceptable at any time. It's the old thing, you know, in 1867, you know, (laughs) where people saying, Hey, my dad should not be, you know, arrested because he was a slave owner because that was okay. Then it wasn't ever okay. Yeah. Um,
0: It's just what are, uh, what what are we allowing at this point in our culture? Right. So, Uh, you know, I think, to that there, there is kind of that need for clarity. Like at what point do we say, okay, now that we've renegotiated what's okay, we can all acknowledge that. Well, what you did before was not okay. You can't be held responsible for that in the same way that you should be held responsible for things going forward. And, and again, to me, the other side of that is then the expectation has to change for, um, victims too. that. Um, that The norm may have been that, you know, we we understand that you have a lot of reasons not to speak up and that you don't, you know, that there is a lot of, um, of, of shame feelings that go along with that, but that we have an expectation that people need to speak up in those situations more. Right. So we talked about the not me thing. I am curious though, uh,
1: and I, maybe people can uh, mention this on the page. I'm curious about anyone you know to know if if there's one person here or, um, over the age of 21 female who has not experienced some form of um, sexual impropriety aggression assault at some level I really have a hard time thinking that that's possible uh, again not trying to make that sound as it's as if it's acceptable or, you know, some sort of, you know, rite of passage or anything like that. I'm actually just curious. I I have a hard time thinking that anyone gets through even their and you know, their twenties, um, uh, without something happening. And I don't know how that applies to men. I don't know if it's the same or less or um uh, I just don't know.
0: I think the message that men get around it is very different. The messaging that men get around it is, um, you're supposed to like that. Uh so like the messaging that women get around it is they, they, I, I would agree, you know, that's it's, it's hard to you know somebody who hasn't hasn't had dealt with that situation, but um you know, women are. It goes back to what we were talking about before, where women are supposed to be the victims and men are supposed to be the aggressors. Well, if men are always the aggressors, then how can they ever be the victims? Right. You must have. You must enjoy that. I mean, you've got like the case uh, where um, there's a teacher recently who was convicted of performing oral sex on a 13 year old. I think it was, and she got like six months of probation for it. You know, to me, how much of that it plays into the cultural narrative of like, well, I mean she's an attractive young teacher, how bad must it have been for him? Well, it would have been just as traumatizing as any 13-year-old. Right. Right. One, um. So, the, the I guess the one other case I just kind of want to mention real quick on that before we move to talking about how you move forward uh, and how you can... Issue, You know, like you said, if everybody has had an experience of um, not necessarily sexual aggression or violence, but at least misconduct, and we agree that as a society we need to speak up more about when misconduct has happened, because that's the only way that you can get clarity around that, is if you feel like you've been violated by me, but I don't feel like I have violated you, and there hasn't been anything that we, we can both identify as a clear assault, then... You know, it's just as important for you to speak up, but then my version of that is I have to listen to you and understand your perspective so that I can adjust my actions. Um The, the one last case though, I wanted to talk about, um and back to why people don't report, uh, that is the La- uh, Larry Nassau case uh, from the U.S. gymnasts. I'll not ring in a bell. Oh, this uh, this was a big case it's I, I tend not to watch listen to the news because well this larry nassau was the doctor for um the u.s gymnastics team mm-hmm. um his list of victims includes gold medalists olympic heroes some of the most famous female athletes in the history of any sport um they ended up being a class action suit against him.
1: Oh god. Yeah. That's pretty
0: embarrassing. 155 156 is the number of women who ended up testifying. And in this case a lot of these women it wasn't an issue if they had never said anything. Um Gabby Douglas, who's a uh, recent Olympic gymnast was one of the victims. And a lot of these cases these girls who are very young when they're gymnasts um wow this They is do like- say something. They speak up to coaches this and is they like- Catholic church level. It it, well, And that's, you know what, but that, that is the same thing too there. That's when people do speak up and it's not addressed within, within the structures that they're in. Um, I'm just going to, going to read over some of the notes I have on this. Uh, Nassar, Nassar pled guilty to seven counts of first degree criminal sexual assault in Ingram County circuit court. He also pled guilty to three counts of first degree criminal sexual assault in Eaton County, circuit court. Uh he was sentenced to 60 years in federal prison on child pornography charges, to which he has admitted. Um, John Getard, the one-time U.S. Olympic women's gymnastic coach and owner of Twistars, suspended from the U.S. gymnastics was suspended from USA gymnastics because he was one of the people who kind of allowed it to happen. Um, and I think that's that's another question is is how responsible are people who don't Take action when these things are reported. Um, hours after the suspension announcement, Getart says in letters to families whose children train at Twist Stars that he is preparing to retire. Nassar was sentenced to 40 to 175 years in prison on sexual assault charges. Uh, the hearing was expected to last four days with, a, with 88 victim impact statements. More women and girls came forward to speak and in total, 156 women and girls made statements over seven days. Poor kiddos. <sighs> and um, the judges had denied an, an appeal on his 60-year federal sentence of child pornography. But in one of these cases, that just shows just kind of the egregiousness of this. Um, Let me see if I can scroll find here. Um, a student athlete at MSU reports reports concerns regarding Nassar to trainers or coaches, but the university failed to take any action. Uh, in 2000, a second student athlete at MSU reports concerns regarding Nassar to trainers or coaches, but the university failed to take any action. Uh, Nassar attends the Olympic Games in Sydney with gymnastics teams. Uh, Rachel Denoler, uh, Denholander a gymnast, was sexually abused by Nasser during treatments for lower back pain in 2000. She was 15 at the time. In 2004, the alleged victim in Ingram County tells her parents about the sex abuse, but they do not report it to the police. Her parents.
1: I mean... Well, I have some issues with gymnastics anyway, and at that level. I uh, With sports at that level at that age. That just adds to them. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's borderline, in my opinion, borderline abusive to have uh, young people performing sports at that level, um, at that age. It's difficult to quash someone's hopes and dreams. But as you see, I wonder if that sort of acceptance of letting them, you know, yeah, be the- abused physically, honestly, um, it, it in- indicates uh, a willingness to let them be abused in other ways. I mean,
0: kind of a, a an idea that like, well, this is this is what you signed up for.
1: Yeah, it's tough. Oh, you got to push through. We well, you know, you know, no thirteen-year-old girl should be pushing through. I mean, no, you know, that thirteen-year-old
0: no really, child. Sorry, <laughs> that um, I guess that to me that that actually sounds a lot like what we hear a lot told to women who are in a typically male environment and dealing with a lot of harassment because of that is well, I mean, you chose to be here. You should just learn how to deal with it. You should be a little bit stronger. You should, you know, not be so bothered by it. And that doesn't actually address the fact that there's still something going on. That's not okay.
1: Well, I guess my point was more that if parents are willing to see their children possibly do lasting harm to their bodies, um, through sports at that age, then it doesn't surprise me that some parents would also be willing to see lasting harm to their psyches.
0: Yeah. At that age. I mean, 156 is the number of women. Can you imagine how many abused women there were that also didn't come forward to speak up? I mean, how many less would it be if the parents or the coaches or the co-workers or the university hadn't ignored it and just kind of covered for him? Um, I mean, that's, it
1: astonishes me. uh, Why would
0: someone cover for a sexual predator? Right.
1: That universities get into that. And that happens with um, athletics at all levels and misconduct at a lot of different levels.
0: Um, And even, I mean, even in that case, Gabby Douglas made a comment to sports illustrated about it where she said, however, it is our responsibility as women to dress modestly and be classy, dressing in a provocative or sexual way entices the wrong crowd. And, she, in this case, was talking about being abused by her doctor. Yikes. I mean, why do even victims loop back to that? How did I how was I involved in this or um, what did I not do enough or blaming each other? Even, you know, that the that stereotype of, well, what were you wearing? Right. Um, so so let's then talk about the apology part.
1: Okay, I do want to talk about Cody Wilson, but I let's talk about the apology first because okay. I think Cody Wilson is kind of a segue, but I wanted to say that before okay. I forgot.
0: yeah, well then... Because then, it popped into I my was head say, as being kinda, very relevant. It, it kind of is relevant to the yes. topic, yeah. Yes. Uh, it's a new one. So when... <sighs> What what should an apology consist of? Because like to, that's the obvious thing that's needed in these cases where um, you have someone who is they're proven um, cases, and these men is usually men just kind of and go away and disappear, right? And addressing how can you move on? Yeah. So in order to come back, uh, uh, Louis C.K. is a great example who even recently um, his, his what he was accused of and actually very quickly admitted guilt to. It was masturbating in front of a lot of women, um, without their consent. Uh, which I mean, that's really the only way to describe that situation. Oh, I I'm say? just like, I'm, I, like that I'm would be such a consent, weird. Yes. Uh, like, yeah. okay.
1: sure, go ahead. I, I, mean, yeah. you know, I guess there's some women who might. Anyway,
0: yeah, yeah, but but at the same time, like, like you're, consent, you're clearly trying to put yeah. yourself in that position to be, yeah, masturbating in front not of not seeing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, he quickly gave his you know his admission of guilt his apology was i want to address the stories told to the new york times by five women named abby rebecca dana julia who felt able to name themselves and one who did not these stories are true at the time i said to myself that what i did was okay because i never showed a woman my dick without asking first which is also true but what i learned later in life too late is that when you have power over another person asking them to look at your dick isn't a question it's a predicament The power I had over these women is that they admired me. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Little puns. Pun. Uh, The power I had over these women is that they admired me. And I wielded that power irresponsibly. I've been remorseful of my actions and I've tried to learn from them and run from them. And I'm aware of the extent of my impact of actions. Is admiration a power over someone? I I don't... That's hard. I don't know. See, to me, what the predicament is more of the... And maybe, maybe you can understand this more from just kind of just the female perspective on that is that when you're in an uncomfortable situation with a man who is very comfortable pulling out his penis in front of you, it's you, your mind very quickly goes to this could go really badly, really quickly. And sometimes you just go like I, if all you're going to be doing is masturbating in front of me, I guess that's better than the other options now that you've decided that this is an okay situation? Yeah, no, but I mean in the
1: broader sense, is admiration a power we have over other people? Like, uh, I mean, how? what does that mean? Like, mm, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I can't even name any of the people I admire because then to... to imagine them saying something like can I masturbate in front of you just seems kind of like even in imagination too
0: uncomfortable. Well I imagine it was probably Um, something more like want to see my dick.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well yeah. Um, But but I'm just I'm struggling with the idea that that's a power over someone although it it is but
0: it's a, a different sense of the word power. I would agree with that. It's kind of a it's not quite the same as you know a boss I. it's very different from a boss. In right, fact. very different. Or even a co-worker. Um, you summon
1: Siri somehow.
0: So, she's not sure she understands either. <laughs> so, I, I feel like Louis C.K. really quickly got the first part that's really necessary in an apology, which is acknowledgement, um, which you can't get to when you have the, he said, she said, of a, a quick denial. Uh, and then you have to go through Right. trying to decide who's right and wrong. And then if you have somebody who started with a denial and then has been proven guilty, we still have to get that first step of acknowledging the, yes, I did this. Um, but then step two has to be understanding why it was not okay. Because it's one thing to acknowledge that you've broken a social rule. It's another thing to acknowledge that, that it's a valid rule that I understand why it's there and then I understand why it was bad for me to have broken it um, and the impact that it had on people. So, I mean, that's the, are you, are you sorry you did it or are you sorry you got caught? Right. Uh, I, to me, the perfect example for that, um, which I'll include a, a link to is Dan Harmon. I played the um, apology for you before we had started and it was fairly long, but he, he went to talking on his podcast. His situation was a much more clear issue of power. Where he was a showrunner, um, and uh, was crushing on a writer uh, that was on his team that he wrote checks for that he you know decided whether or not she continued to have a job, and um, he went through trying to pursue her in a very in in a way that that made her very uncomfortable, and that he acknowledged really well in his podcast in this and and. I think the reason that's important is because that's the part that's necessary to start growing and learning from a mistake. Because things are forgivable. Well, you follow these more closely. Um, how was such apology received? It was received very well, actually. She responded with a, a I believe she said that this is a a master class in how to give an actual apology and very publicly said, I forgive you. So thank you for doing that. That was those two. How did other people receive it? Other people seem to have received it positively, too. Um, He hasn't been uh, invited back to where he was previously working, but he is still, you know, back working within the industry. Right. Uh, He's still writing for shows. Um, You know, he wasn't it wasn't completely destroyed because he's able to, I mean, and to me, it's part of that has to be at least because he's able to, to move on and going through that kind of redemptive process. And that's the third part of apologies is going now that I realize why I've done a bad thing. Here's what I'm going to do to not make the same mistake. Um, you know, and, and you see different people who have issued apologies and some of them, Some of them stop at step one or two and there seems to be kind of a reflection in, in the mob as to how much they accept that to how far they go. Like you, you've got the, the non-apology apologies of, I'm sorry that you experienced that that way. I'm sorry that you misinterpreted my actions. Um, I'm sorry that you got offended. Right. And then you've got the, I, you know, I, I acknowledge that I've done a wrong thing. When can I come back? When am I done being punished, guys? Are we good? Have I have we made it even? But know, it's not the same as as actually... Well, an apology is not always going to work. It, no, it,
1: it won't. There are some things that don't get by with an apology.
0: Um, do you think everything is all... Do you think most things are forgivable? Yes. Um, yeah,
1: absolutely. But I but there are things that are not forgivable by any particular person in any particular time. So, um, anything can be unforgivable, but also anything can be forgivable. It, it's, uh, and it's hard to predict. I mean, um, I've seen people hold grudges over really ridiculous thing or sorry, things that I think are ridiculous or small. And then I've seen huge things forgiven. Um, I tend to be not really so much forgiving as forgetting. Um, I, I'm not good at holding grudges because I just, I can't be bothered to like stew, to remember stuff over and over. Um, but some people it's very difficult to not remember stuff over and over. Uh, and, but yeah, I think every particular thing can be forgiven. So
0: let's talk about Cody Wilson. real quick. Yes, let's. You want to frame go th- up? Th- uh, yeah, or? I was going to say. Do you want to go through <laughs> I know. the the situation? Because I, I, I mean, I've read like one article on that and mm. went, "Oh, this is." Yeah.
1: Same thing. I'm not exa- exactly up on it, uh, but I do know. Uh, I don't know how much of this to preface with allegedly or so it seems or whatever, but apparently he um, formed a connection through a. Uh, an online site for hooking women up with wealthy men, mm. which seems like a really kind of bizarre, but it's um,
0: more common than
1: most yeah, people are. I it just didn't think there was any official or any sort of uh, um, capitalistic channel for that. I'm, I'm kind so of impressed
0: that Cody Wilson is, is on there as, as one of the uh, wealthy daddy. men. Yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> Um,
1: so anyway, he did presumably, and I'm not sure, maybe you could go to that site. Maybe they're shut down. I don't know. But presumably when you, okay, so he made a liaison from one of, from some site and, um, presumably had sex with the woman and somehow, uh, it's come out that
0: she was at the time under age, whatever the age is there. Um, okay. I, I pulled up an article on it. Uh, Mr. Wilson is accused of having sex with a 16-year-old girl at a hotel room in Austin, Texas, on August 15th and paying her $500 in cash.
1: Ah, okay. So there's a couple questions there. You know, payment. Which, Sugar Daddy you know, com. Right. <laughs> so um, as a libertarian, of course, I'm fine with paying for sex. I'm fine with, you know, someone who is capable of giving consent, giving consent regardless of the age. Um, <laughs> that's a cute site. On that site, do you
0: have to declare
1: that you're 18 or older Mm.
0: it it does uh looks like it requires you to be 18 yeah
1: so then we have the question of whether he whether um whether it was his responsibility to do any more due diligence than to say i'm on a site where the women signing in had to say they were over 18 so why should i have to look at her bona fides when they've already been presented to the site um I mean, maybe that's why he went to that site because he assumed that he was going to get someone screened. Um, to what point is he responsible for right? And and I don't even know what the charges are against him. You know, paying for sex, having sex with a minor. Uh, I I I don't know. I just have to say I'm well. I was impressed at how good your dog was at going over the <laughs> the uh, the mic line there. Um, at any rate. I don't know. You know, I don't want to take the, there are questions about whether this was a setup. I just have to say in the, in this, um, I don't know why people leave themselves open to this kind of thing. I mean, he seems like he's a really thoughtful guy. So I'm really a little bit confused about how easily entrapped people can be. Um, not saying that he was entrapped, but, um, but I, I, I'm a little startled by the whole situation. But aside from that, I'm having trouble seeing guilt in this case. Um, you know, if someone has lit, has said that that is their age. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. To you, to, 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 at some point you have to allow for, you know, like you were saying, mitigating circumstances where you can only go off of, the claim that the person has made i mean why are you supposed to cut their arm off and count the rings i you're i mean even even if you got to the point of like asking for id from any person before you become intimately involved with them like fake IDs are a thing um I, yeah i guess I, I really agree with you on that that's kind of hard to hold one party entirely accountable at the very least
1: i agree I totally agree, and i've I've heard similar. I've heard either that interview or another where he's impressed me as someone who, um, you know, if I were doing something like that, I'd be like, "Screw you! I'm publishing these plans." But no, his he had a very deliberative approach. I'm following the law. I'm going to court. I'm making my case, and that doesn't seem to hold together with this kind of what one would consider reckless behavior. So, yeah. It, I mean, the whole thing is very, very
0: strange. You know, I think that hits on on one other aspect that we haven't kind of touched on yet, which also ties into the Brett Kavanaugh thing. Is there a difference between a single act and a pattern of behavior? And, and how important is that difference? Like, is... So this gives you to, like, one murder is enough to say that this person is a murderer. But can that same logic be extended to all situations? So like Brett Kavanaugh, even even if he, yeah, or even with murder, like, okay, so, so let's take Brett Kavanaugh. If he is, even if we assume that he is guilty of what he's accused of, which is assault, but not rape. Um, does that show evidence of a deep seated, you know flaw in his judgment and moral character or is that evidence of a a single bad choice that was made um you know is it really only a problem when you've got 156 women who are having a class action lawsuit against you or is it still a problem when it's just one person one time
1: well i think even more salient in this case is you have to ask who was who is a victim is there a victim? Yeah is has this woman come forward and said i was 16 um and i lied to get on this site and now i regret it and i'm a, i was a victim I, I i'm having a hard time seeing how that works
0: um you know even if she regrets having done it she um the police were notified of the alleged assault after the girl told a counselor and they confirmed the details using surveillance video and interviews. Okay, so
1: clearly she willfully signed up for this thing and then regretted it, which I can certainly understand. Yeah, both case, both instances. Uh, it's a really this is a really difficult one because do you have someone who's a victim of yes. But who? What is she victimized victim of? Her. Yes, poor choices or uh, the site, mm-hmm. from, um, or you know, Mr. Wilson, who clearly must have thought she fell into the parameters of the site.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, it, there's no there's no accusation of of a lack of consent. Just the assertion that because of her age, there is no consent. Right. Which is is a whole other like conversation on on how we determine age of adulthood and when you're, I mean, I've, I, I've always thought that that's a little weird.
1: I would like to talk to her. I would like to know if she feels that he victimized her. How many other people did she see? Was it just one? Was she trying something out?
0: A lot of times when we're teens, uh, we do things like that. It's, it's, you know, but I think, I think that is even an example of, is, is a poor choice being different than a pattern behavior. So, If even she is the one who victimized herself in that situation, Um, it's different than if she's continuing to do the same thing and move on as opposed to going, oh, you know what? Maybe I made some poor choices and I don't want to continue doing that moving forward and I'm growing and I've learned from that Uh, as shouldn't that same ability be assumed of anybody who whether they're victimizing themselves through bad choices or accidentally victimized somebody else. There's so many things about this
1: case that are not clear. Like what happened between, so she said something to a counselor at school or something. I don't know. And then that counselor said, ah, clear assault. I should report this. The counselor reports it. And then what happens if this was someone who was in his mid twenties or mid thirties and, uh, no one had heard about would something have happened Would charges have been applied. Um, did someone's eyes light up when they saw the name? Um, Because this is clearly someone who has not made a lot of friends at the, um, you know, at the law enforcement level. So I, I don't know.
0: Well, I don't know. I, I, to me, I almost think that the most normal thing about it as a sexual assault case is that there's a lot of unanswered questions. And this is just entirely too convenient with that too. I will definitely agree with you on that. Which, again, seems to tie us back to the Brett Kavanaugh thing. Uh, I mean, that's that's the thing that is keeps coming up about uh, his case is this is entirely too convenient. Why did you wait until the last minute? Um, You know, let's let's go ahead and and just really kind of dive into that. Then Um, see Christine Blasey Ford has a right to talk. He has a right to defend himself. Brett Kavanaugh does Uh, is his reputation tarnished forever, even if he is innocent, and uh, if he is guilty, does that act does that disqualify him? You know what I was saying before: a single action
1: versus a pattern of behavior. Do you think he'd be better off maintaining, pardon me, asserting his innocence, or saying something clearly happened? Um, It was clearly unhappy.
0: Uh, It was clearly inappropriate. I think that there's a third option, which is to acknowledge that this is something that's 35 years ago and that may have very well impacted your life. The In this case, Christine Blasey Ford um, much more than mine this is something that you may have been dealing with that to her, it may have been a life changing traumatic experience to him. It may have been another night drinking with the boys and it may just be something where he has never really thought that hard about it and It's, you know, it's 35 years ago. He doesn't remember what he did at a party 35 years ago. I think there is room for him to have been able to have that option of, I do not ever remember doing anything like this. But if I did, then it is not okay. And I, you know, I I want to, you know, I I need to learn more about this. Like what? Doesn't
1: that tread perilously close to, I'm sorry, I got... Caught, or I'm sorry
0: you were offended. I don't know. I, I, to me, it's to me, it seems like a better option because you are allowing for the reality that there are differences in perception. That something to that to me um, was not a traumatizing experience, that it really was not a big deal in my life. So, we, why would I remember it 35 years later? We took really good care of
1: our slaves, they were like nannies to our children, they were just part of the family. I mean. And, that, but, and you get away with like it by I'm not taking, thinking about it. I'm taking the wrong role here. I'm supposed to be that. Um, I don't know. I, I, I wish these things were very clear, um, but they're not. Again, as with the Cody Wilson thing, the timing seems to be um, convenient for
0: someone. So I mean, remember, there's a ninety percent chance that at the end of Ford's testimony and Kavanaugh's response, we still will know nothing more than we know now. Um, I mean, I, it's it's a really crappy situation that kind of is uncomfortable because there's no good resolution. And so,
1: what I don't understand—I mean, I understand where someone would think. I'm not comfortable with this guy in a position of power at the Supreme Court. However, he's had a position of power for some time, and she was comfortable with that. I, uh, I know I'm get treading perilously close to victim blaming. I don't know. I don't know what I would do in a similar situation. I'm trying to think if... No, all the bad situations I've had were <laughs> were with people who were power powerless then, and probably less powerless, even more powerless now. So, it,
0: um, I can understand the narrative that she has given as her reasoning, where like that it's if it, the reason she felt the need to speak up and say something is is from like a civic duty perspective. Yeah. Because if you had somebody who did something to you terribly as a teenager, and it affected your life then, you know, that might be a person that you would think about more, and it would kind of be pretty terrifying to watch them rise through prominence as a judge, and I could see feeling like you need to say something. I guess I guess I would wonder is he, is he, he's a federal judge, right? I think, I I believe he's a federal judge. So, federal judges have to go through their own confirmation.
1: Right. Um, and and it's quite possible that she never really followed his career. I get that. Uh,
0: well, that, that's something that, that's actually been used to corroborate her. And um, friends who come up to talk about it to, to corroborate her story have said that, you know, she did mention a powerful man who is a federal judge now um, who had assaulted her as a teenager, tended to not name him, though, but mentioned a federal judge who might be appointed to the Supreme Court one day. her husband says that she maimed him.
1: So, yeah, so, it's it's so wait, it's an uncomfortable let's, situation. Let's go back in time 35 years. What would have happened um to this to this guy? Probably
0: so Probably nothing.
1: Yeah, he would Well, let's go back in time 35 years but as if it were today and they were both, you know, teens or whatever and he had charges and and maybe served some time would it still be possible that he would be federal judge and um and appointed to the supreme court i think so you really um, think so yeah because if we're certainly 35 years from now people who are have faced these kinds of charges will be running the country because just like uh 35 years from now everyone who's a congressman or or you know um on the supreme court will have smoked pot i mean be, and admitted it um, because, you know, we were going to have to move on somehow and um, we can't disqualify everyone from ever serving, you know, based on, you know, and if everyone has some charge against them, I I don't see how that's going to, how we are ever going to move on from that as a society. Well, that would be really great, actually, now that I think about it. If uh, if that kind of thing disqualifies everyone from being a politician, because uh, all we have to do is have every politician or have every person smoke a joint, and then we will our government will dissolve (laughs) over the next twenty years.
0: Is this this the
1: anarchist? Yeah, the anarchist fantasy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, so it's your your uncivic duty, anarchist, to make sure that everyone smokes pot. So that none of them can run for office in the future.
0: This is the peace pipe caucus, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I I don't even like pot, but
1: (laughs) I, I will admit to, you know, having smoked just so that I can't take office.
0: So one last angle on the Kavanaugh thing that that one of my best friends pointed out to me and I, I had to look more into and appreciated her take on that was there was some breaking news this week from both the Washington Post and Politico. About Kavanaugh's ruling that 17 year olds are adults and responsible for their own decisions, uh, the reporting was done so badly that you could finish reading the articles and still have no idea what the actual case said. Um, so we went ahead to actually find the um, ruling. And in these, this case, is the case
1: in much reporting, by the way.
0: Yeah, a terrible, terrible reporting. Now. Journal that's
1: a whole another story. Journalism.
0: So there was a case of where a 17-year-old immigrant girl was in custody due to crossing the border illegally, wanted to have an abortion. 17-year-old immigrant woman. Woman. Being Well, that's kind of what's at argument here, isn't it? (laughs) Being an immigrant, they could not locate her parents. An existing statute was that a parent or guardian over the age of 18 was needed to have an abortion. In this case, the judge, who was not Kavanaugh, ruled that she could indeed be allowed to have an abortion. Kavanaugh provided an a dissenting opinion and attached uh, it to the case file. He responds with the following. The majority seems to think that the United States has no good reason to want to transfer an unlawful immigrant minor to an immigration sponsor before the minor has an abortion. But consider the circumstances here. The minor is alone and without family or friends. She is in a U.S. government detention facility in a country that to her is foreign. She is 17 years old. She is pregnant and has to make a major life decision. Is it really absurd for the United States to think that the minor should be transferred to her immigrant sponsor, ordinarily a family member, relative, or friend, before she makes that decision? And keep in mind that the government is not forcing the minor to talk to the sponsor about the decision or obtain consent. It is merely seeking to place the minor in a better place when deciding whether to have an abortion. I suppose people can debate as a matter of policy whether this is always a good idea, but unconstitutional, that is far-fetched. After all, the Supreme Court has repeatedly said that the government has permissible interest in favoring fetal life, protecting the best interests of the minor, and not facilitating abortion so long as the government does not impose an undue burden on the abortion decision. It is important to stress, moreover, that this case involves uh, a minor. We are not dealing with adults, although the majority's rhetoric speaks as if Jane Doe were an adult. The law does not always treat minors the same way as adults, as the Supreme Court has repeatedly emphasized in the abortion context. So... Kavanaugh's statement is actually kind of the opposite of what has been reported. Um, He's saying that she's too young to make a decision and that an immigrant sponsor acting as a parent and provided by the government was required to proceed with such a major life decision. Uh, He argues that she could proceed with the abortion so long as an adult approved. There's still a lot of things to discuss here. Wait. I don't. I didn't hear so long as an adult approved. Because he said he says that she, she says that she doesn't even have to obtain consent actually right, right. yeah
1: or even to talk to them but that she, she should be in a well it depends situation. on what
0: state it would depend on what state that they place her in
1: ah necessarily right
0: um yeah but that she
1: should be in a situation where she has such adults available
0: so the question that that kind of brings up is boy that's
1: got to give liberals fits. Let someone out of a detention center make someone be with adults to make an abortion decision. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) So, should a 17-year-old girl need permission from an adult to have an abortion? And is a 17-year-old boy as responsible as an adult for a sexual assault? It's that issue of, like, when do full consequences kick in? When are you able to make good decisions and how much should those decisions impact future. I mean, this is a thing I've actually heard coming a lot from conservatives on the Kavanaugh thing is so, well, he was six, he was 17. You know, we all have made dumb choices when we're 17 and that shouldn't impact, you know, a grown man's career, but that's not necessarily applied equally. I mean, 17 year olds make decisions that we are very comfortable. But I mean, this is, this is one of the things that the USA is really good about. We are perfectly fine giving 17 and 16 year olds life sentences. Um, But at what point do they become responsible for their actions? Like with the Cody Wilson case, at what point is a 16 year old responsible for having lied about her age more than the other person is responsible for not having known? I don't know. I guess guess that really kind of leads into just a bigger, deeper conversation about why we draw the line where it is. Uh, Yeah. It's why we draw that line where it is. I've always thought it's really weird that the state says that in some places you can consent to sex at 14, but you can't drive until you're 16 and you can join the military at 17, but you can't vote until you're 18 and you can't drink until you're 21 and you can't, well, that's private. You can't rent a car until you're 25. It wouldn't be fascinating.
1: I'm surprised this has never come up that I know of, but um, if we had a Congressman sponsor something, an, a, rise, um, an increase in the age of, uh, military conscription or I'm sorry, even military, um, hiring, like no one could go in the military until they were 21.
0: The I mean, it's it why-
1: pretty shocking that we think people are between the ages or before the age of 21 are too malleable and, and changeable, um, to be able to tru- be trusted with cigarettes or alcohol. Well, the whole reason that we can't put- go to the military, uh, I know why they want people that young in the military, because precisely because they're so malleable and plastic. Um, that's why I would like to see, you know, a minimum military age of 100, I mean, 21. <laughs> um, I'd like to see a congressman sponsor that. I think that would be fascinating. Uh, I think it would be shot down haha shot down but but that would be a great um a great suggestion for a libertarian candidate for congress
0: just saying so um yeah i mean it's it's a very interesting kind of topic to delve into so do you think that philosophically um you kind of have to rule all the same way on on all these cases when when you're dealing with with how old somebody is yeah no, I or mean, you think you can fill us out or you think it, it is more philosophically honest to say that you can't draw a clear cut line. Yeah, I don't. Maybe there's some really
1: good psych test we can devise uh, to let you know if a person is of a freely consentable age. Maybe there's um, what what was it Rothbard used to say? um that someone was fit to leave home when they declared they were ready to leave home uh i don't i don't know i consent's not that simple but um but it's also not the same for every person and everyone acknowledges that but it seems you know that people are more comfortable having some cutoff um i just i think this the Cody Wilson case is a lot different because there's deception involved
0: yeah so um you know i just just, just thinking a little bit more about your, your comment about the military always oh, it's, uh, it's funny how many people don't realize that the whole reason that we allow 18 year olds to vote is because we want to be able to draft them and so like when we first were instituting the draft the at the time the voting age was 21 right but 18 to 21 year, 18 to 20 year olds had a real big problem with the idea that you're going to send me off to war forcibly uh-huh. whole vietnam thing but yeah. i'm not allowed to vote
1: yeah maybe well, we
0: shouldn't be forcibly sending them off to war either
1: <laughs> maybe yeah just maybe.
0: maybe yeah well um we have spent way more time on this than either of us thought we would um, do, do you, you want to go ahead and offer final thoughts on the subject
1: I don't have anything final. That's the sad thing about it. I think I just feel like it's not an easy question. Anyone who thinks it is uh, hasn't thought about it enough.
0: I think that um, in order for this to at some point be a movement that has ended, it's going to require us culturally being able to kind of like draw a line in the sand. Like, like, you you know, with, with the civil rights movement, with like any th- big movement that we've had, even abolishing slavery before that, there is a, a line that we've drawn in the sand where we acknowledge that a lot of us who are going to have to build a society together and learn how to work together moving forward, a lot of us did horrible, objectionable things in the past, and we're not justifying that. And that was not okay. But... Now that we've clarified that and that we all understand the new expectations going forward, we understand that that was a different time under different expectations and that you cannot, that you shouldn't expect to hold someone accountable in the same way. That makes a lot of sense. As most things you say. Do. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, but um, I mean, Twitter is the place where we have public conversations now, which is just that's terrifying. horrifying. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, it, it is. It is I feel um, like
1: something good happened on Twitter lately, but I can't remember what it's usually horrifying. What was that? Alex Jones got banned. Oh, well, yeah. No, but I mean, someone said something reasonable on Twitter. It was shocking enough that I remember, but I I obviously
0: can't remember it now. (laughs) Well, I do think, you know, there are good conversations that happen in the realm of social media. I mean. Oh, absolutely. Instagram. There's, Um, but being the internet is a place where there's at least currently in America, there's less censure than like we can give to each other in real life. Um, it, It does become a dumpster fire in some areas because that's, that's what happens when you allow anything to happen. But that doesn't mean that good, productive conversations aren't happening away from the dumpster fire. Or, like, slightly off to the side where we're watching the dumpster fire and discussing it. One of the things I liked about Twitter was the, <laughs>
1: car- was the, the short message, the short-form message. Uh, I thought that was kind of a cool way for people to have to make a point, make a salient point, make it quickly, and move on. But it turns out... <laughs> be a really powerful way for people to say things that are harsh, easily misinterpreted, angry, um, without any kind of explanation. So I don't know. Maybe I should give Twitter another try.
0: I, I've never been able to sit down and deal, <coughs> deal with Twitter for long enough. <coughs> so um, I think it's about time that we go ahead and wrap up Uh, Is there anywhere that, if anybody is dying to ask you more questions, Susan, they could reach out to you? Or, I mean, you're also free to just completely withhold any information as well. People can
1: reach out to me anywhere. My phone number is 919-906-2106. Free to text me. Uh, You're free to call also, but I never answer the phone, so leave a voicemail. Um, And you can always email me at hogarth at gmail. So that's my last name, H-O-G-A-R-T-H. I'm always happy to hear from people. If you stalk me on Facebook, I respond to messenger a lot faster than email.
0: <coughs> all right. Well, thank you for coming on with us today and thanks for having me. Hopefully all of our listeners have enjoyed this episode of We Are Libertarians and we encourage you to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast feed in Apple or iTunes or Stitcher or Google Music. And- Wherever you happen to find. Um, be sure to check out our YouTube channel. I'm going to have a shameless moment of self-promotion to please go ahead and check out the Fundamental Freedoms series on our YouTube channel and on our um, Facebook. It's once a week, uh, Sundays at 8. You get to listen to me talk for two to three minutes about a topic related to libertarianism. And I've really enjoyed those. Thank you. I've been terribly stressed for the first few, but it's much more comfortable now. They're super. <laughs>
1: So, uh, and I actually, I, I like two to three minutes. That's about my attention span.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, it's funny. I actually had uh, feedback from one, um, uh, of actually our state party members who said, uh, he, he really thinks that it would be better if they were done, um, in longer segments or, um, at least released all at once so that you could binge watch them. I wonder who that was. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, I, I appreciate that. And you will be able to binge watch at some point, but you know, we want to make sure to have enough for everybody's attention spans. <laughs> I think that's about it. So, so -hmm. long.